to our series on the Beatitudes. And we're coming to the end today on this series that we've called Be an Invitation to Our Different Life. And I don't know about you whether you're here for the first time or not. These words are deeply challenging and deeply encouraging. So we're going to read them all together. This is Jesus, the beginning of Jesus' famous sermon on the Mount. So can I invite us to stand again? Please stand. And we're going to read the whole of the Beatitudes together reminding us of what Jesus said. And this week, we're going to focus on the last of these Beatitudes. But let's read them all together. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. May God speak to us now. Amen. Please do take your seats. There are some things in life which are both deeply painful and very, very good for us. Exercise can be deeply painful, but is very, very good for us. I'm told learning to play the guitar when you first begin can be deeply painful because it hurts your fingers, but in the long run, there is good things. I walked past a gym the other day, and I saw those guys who stand there in front of the mirror with the weights, and looking at their faces, it was deeply, deeply painful. And yet, when I caught a reflection of myself in that same window, and then I looked at their physique, I realized the pain does have benefits for them. As we've been going through the Beatitudes, it's a reality check that there are things in life that may be very, very challenging, very, very painful. But even in those, God may be doing something very, very beautiful. And today, as we come to the end of this series and the end of the Beatitudes, the Beatitude we're focusing on today about being persecuted is one that is both deeply uncomfortable and deeply comforting. For those of us who in life at the moment, it is really hard or we are deeply troubled or there is pain that is so real or we know that we are in some degree facing opposition, or maybe we might even say we're persecuted for our faith. These words that Jesus says are deeply, deeply comforting. But for others of us, who if we're honest, are pretty comfortable, can I encourage you to buckle in? Because these words that Jesus says maybe, just maybe, are deeply uncomfortable for us. 
And if you're here this morning and you're not sure whether you'd call yourself a Christian, you're here because you're supporting somebody or you're just interested in who, who Jesus is or what Christianity is about, this morning my hope is that you might catch a glimpse of the reality of why Christianity really is the best news possible. And yet also that you might catch a little glimpse of the reality that there is no such thing as a part-time Christian. These words are deeply uncomfortable and yet deeply comforting. And so let's kick off with the uncomfortable things. Let's be honest, when we hear the word persecuted, if you're anything like me, you think of people over there. I don't mean in the city center, I mean in other places around the world. People who are Christians in places where it's illegal, or, or where they are in physical danger, or their families reject them. Persecution for many of us is a sort of distant thing for people either in other places or in other times in history. But Jesus' words are deeply uncomfortable for us today for several reasons. And the first is this. Jesus' words are uncomfortable because they urge us to live such a good life that some people don't like it. Listen again to what Jesus said. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Righteousness, doing good, fighting for justice, for what is right. For people who are doing such good things or campaigning so much for those who are on the fringe where there is massive injustice or for people who are caring for those who are, rightly, who are massively oppressed, those people are doing such good, so many right things that they're persecuted. Well, Jesus said they're blessed. And of course, for all of us, that makes us ask a question. Clarence Jordan was instrumental in founding Habitat for Humanity, the development organization based in the US. And he raises a good question. What are the things that we do that are worth persecuting? What in my life can be challenged by people who don't like it because it's so good? What is there about our community life that some people want to put a stop to it because it's so right? What is it about who we welcome that causes some people offense? What is it about the way we spend our time and spend our energy and spend our money that some people want to put a spot, stop to because it unsettles them? What are the things we do that are worth persecuting? Jesus' words are deeply uncomfortable because they urge us to live such a life that people notice and that means some people won't like it. That's the first reason it's uncomfortable. The second reason that Jesus' words are uncomfortable is because they urge us to live a life in which, in which we realize that it is normal to be persecuted because of Jesus. Listen to what Jesus says again. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. 
Christian history reminds us that it is normal to face opposition if you're a follower of Jesus. Our friends and brothers and sisters around the planet who are followers of Jesus remind us that it is normal to face opposition and persecution for being a follower of Jesus. The comfort that we have in our society that we've got used to is abnormal for followers of Jesus. I love this quote from Tom Wright. Wherever St. Paul went, there was a riot. Wherever I go, they serve tea. (laughs) Down through history, and in many places across the planet today, persecution for following Jesus is normal. It doesn't fit in. I'm in the process of reading a book at the moment called Disappearing Church by Mark Sayers. I commend it to you. But let me read to you some challenging words from him. We only have to trawl through our Instagram feeds to find pastors, Christian musicians, artists, authors, activists who seem to live incredible lives. These people seem to have the best of both worlds. They follow Jesus and get to travel. They live in cool neighborhoods, hang with really interesting people, have incredible marriages, or rock the single life and connect with the most amazing people. The more we view this, the more a belief inside us rises. The belief is that if we do the stuff of Christianity, read the Bible, serve the poor, worship passionately, move the sound equipment without groaning, we'll get a slice of the awesome Christian life that this false gospel promises. We understand that God would ask people in the two-thirds world to give up things, to sacrifice. But the heresy hidden under the surface is our belief that God would never ask Western people to deny themselves. Friends, Jesus' uncomfortable words show us that being persecuted for being a follower of Jesus is normal, not abnormal. Listen to some other words of Jesus. Everyone will hate you because of me. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. These words of Jesus force us to ask, am I too comfortable? And am I comfortable with being uncomfortable in life? So these are uncomfortable truths of Jesus, aren't they? But there's a third reason that this beatitude is very, very uncomfortable. And it is this. And can I say, this is where it gets a bit awkward. Hashtag awkward, all right? I'm going to talk about an elephant in the room for a moment. Jesus' words are uncomfortable because Christianity is normal. Uh, Persecution, sorry, is normal because we're followers of Jesus. It's not normal because we're just weird. Listen again to what Jesus says. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, because of righteousness. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Persecution is normal and expected for righteousness, for doing such good things, And because of Jesus. Jesus doesn't say, blessed are those who persecuted for being a little bit odd, or for being a little bit belligerent, or for being difficult people to hang around. Jesus doesn't say, blessed are those who are persecuted when laws are made that we might disagree with. Frankly, 
there are some people who can enjoy the idea that they're being persecuted for their faith, but actually it's for other reasons that they're persecuted. It is possible to be insulted and persecuted and have all kinds of evil said against Christians for right reasons. Just look at the history of the church. And I don't know if you saw in the news this week, Tim Farron, the ex-Lib Dems leader, who did a talk, a lecture at the Theos think tank in London. Fascinating, it's well worth Googling uh, to read what he says, interesting. But in it, he said these words, listen. In the fourth century in Rome, Christianity won in that it became the establishment worldview. Up to that point, there had been 300 years of persecution and exclusion for the followers of Christ Jesus. But the church morphed from persecuted to dominant in a short time, and in doing so, it lost sight of its own internal truth of reliance on Christ alone and self-sacrificing love. Jesus' words, I think, unsettle us a little bit. Because it reminds us that the real reason the church thrived in those first centuries is precisely because it was a subversive movement. It was precisely because they were living such different lives, welcoming the poor, welcoming the outcast, caring for each other as family, sticking together, that eventually society had to take notice. But they faced massive opposition for it, and as a result, it grew and grew and grew and grew. And the biblical model of a church is one in which we live such different lives that people notice. And yes, they praise the Father in heaven as a result because we're doing such good things. But also some people won't like it, not because we are in power and therefore able to force our view on others. A subversive, beautiful, Christ-centered, self-sacrificial, intoxicating church. John Ortberg famously said, Jesus' followers have often behaved worse when they've possessed political power than when they were persecuted by it. There's a lot that's uncomfortable in Jesus' words, and you may disagree. I'd love to chat afterwards with you. So that's the uncomfortable bits. But of course, Jesus doesn't end there. This might be uncomfortable for us if we're in comfortable lives, but the reality is for some of us right now, we are deeply uncomfortable already in life. Thank you, but certainly true for our brothers and sisters throughout history and maybe one day for us in this country too. Who knows? So here are the comfortable, comforting truths because these words are some of the most beautiful if you're in the middle of opposition. Listen to what Jesus said. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It is possible, says Jesus, to be glad and rejoice in the middle of persecution. We live in a culture in which we presume that discomfort is bad and therefore we're getting things wrong. Maybe, just maybe, if we are facing persecution right now, there is more to be glad and rejoicing than we ever realized. Did you know? Over the last decade, an average of 100,000 Christians have been killed every year for the past decade. And that works out to be 11 Christians killed somewhere in the world every hour, seven days a week, 365 days a year for the last decade. 
How can that be a good thing? Well, Jesus gives very comforting words. Firstly, this Beatitudes, they're comforting because they show where you belong. Listen again. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you're persecuted for your faith, it shows you're on the right team. That's a good thing. I never forget the reality of two friends of mine. He was Syrian, she's Palestinian, and they were forced from their home because of their faith. They'd become Christians. Uh, and they spent years, literally years, traveling from place to place, home to home, never settled, never safe, always in danger, always in fear, until they finally came to the UK and were ultimately granted asylum. I never forget the physical relief as you looked at them because they'd finally found somewhere they could just be safe. Persecution, says Jesus, shows that the kingdom is yours. You're on the right team. You're on the team. How good is that? If you're persecuted for doing good, you're in Jesus' kingdom. If you're persecuted because of Jesus, you're in his team. That's comforting if you're in the middle of it. But here's the second reason why this is deeply comforting. Jesus' words are comforting because they show that if we're being persecuted, we're being like Jesus. Listen again. Rejoice and be glad, because great's your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In the same way. The heroes of old, they were persecuted. Just read your Bible. Jesus, well, he was nailed to a cross. Us, it's hugely comforting, therefore, if we are going through opposition and persecution. But don't take my word for it. Take the words of this man. Don't know if you know who this is. This is Father Boul George. He's a Coptic priest at St. Mark's Church, Cairo. And you may remember back at Easter time this year on Palm Sunday, two bombs exploded in churches in Egypt, planted by Islamic militants intended to destroy and cause mayhem for the Christian community. 44 people were killed, many, many were injured. And the next day, this man, Father George, in his church, a key player in the Coptic church, got up to give a powerful sermon about the tragedy in which he spoke directly via the wonders of YouTube to the militants that had caused all this harm. But rather than criticizing, rather than a call to kind of gird up, his words are astonishing. This is how he began his sermon. Are you ready? Knowing that many of his family, brothers, sisters had been killed. This is his opening words. The first thing we will say is, Thank you very, very much. And you won't believe us when we say it. You know why we thank you? I'll tell you. You won't get it, but please believe us. You gave us to die the same death as Christ. And this is the biggest honor we could have. Christ was crucified, and this is our faith. He died and was slaughtered, and this is our faith. 
You gave us and you gave those who died the greatest honor. Friends, Jesus wasn't joking when he asked his followers to pick up their cross. But just in the same way that when Jesus went to the cross, something incredible happens. Salvation for all humanity. So too, when Jesus' followers take up their cross, something beautiful happens. Because people notice, people see a difference of people willing to be persecuted for something they're convinced is true. That they're willing to be opposed to show love and care to the very least in society. That they're willing to cling on in the middle of the greatest opposition because of their faith. People notice that there's something intoxicating about that. Because Father George went on in his sermon. Let me read some more words. Again, speaking to these militants, thank you for helping us achieve our goal. You're helping us and you don't even know it. I know you don't understand, but I'm trying to explain it to you. There are people we visited at home to encourage them to come to church three, four, five times. Still, they won't come. What you're doing is you're bringing them to church. The people who've never come. And let me speak plainly here, he says. I love this. Usual attendance at this service is very little. <laughs> People are usually so tired after Palm Sunday that they don't come. But when I came in tonight, there were people on chairs outside the building. There were people in the balcony. The church is completely full. There isn't even an empty nook. Thank you, he says. We're so grateful that you're helping fill our churches. Thank you for all you've done for us without even noticing. These words are deeply comforting. Because when we are opposed, something beautiful can happen. We're being like Jesus. So it's deeply comforting because it shows we're on the right team, we're in the kingdom. It's deeply comforting because we're like Jesus. But there's another reason it's deeply comforting, it's this. Listen again to Matthew chapter 5, verse 12. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven. These words are supremely comforting because they show that persecution is not the final word. You see, for some people here, it may be that you're not a follower of Jesus, or you're not sure, you're just here out of duty, or you're here because you're investigating whatever it may be. And you might be thinking, well, why do you want to become a follower of Jesus if you have all this hassle in life? Why don't you go for the easy life? Sit back in your armchair. And it might be for others who are followers of Jesus that you know life is so challenging that you're tempted to just give up because you're just so weary. And it would be so much easier if you just gave in to that temptation or that particular challenge you've got in your life or that way you know is not living for Christ. Well, Jesus says, great is their reward in heaven. One day, one day, one day. And this makes all the difference. I don't know if any of you ran in the marathon earlier this year, the Birmingham Marathon. Uh, I didn't run it. I was walking along Pershaw Road, pushing my son along. And as I was pushing him along, this guy had hit the wall. It was about sort of mile 22. I'm not quite sure exactly where we were, right there. And this guy was crumpled, clearly had hit the wall. And anyone that's done marathon running, you know, this, you kind of, you know. And so I kind of stopped to chat to him. And he basically had said, 
I'm done. I, I, I can't go on. And I tried to encourage him, you know, come on, mate. Keep going. You look young. And he wasn't having any of it. I'm done. Honestly, he was a wreck. And I was about to move on when suddenly I said, I said to him, mate, just think about what it would be like when you cross that finishing line. And I noticed him beginning to sort of sit up a bit and stand up. I said, come on, you can you know, imagine the cheer and the sense of well-being. And with that, he got to his feet and began to very slowly walk. And then that started to go to a jog. And as he began to jog, he turned back and said, cheers, mate. And off he went. Not because it was the most inspiring talk in the world, but because he then had a glimpse of what was ahead and that enabled him to carry on now. Because of the glory that was coming, it enabled him to enjoy even the greatest war. So too, Jesus' words, great is their reward in heaven. But again, don't take my word for it. Listen to our friend, Father George, again. As he said these words of thanks to those who had murdered his brothers and sisters. We thank you because you shortened for us the journey. When someone's headed home to a particular city, he keeps looking at the time. When will I get home? Are we there yet? Can you imagine if in an instant he finds himself on a rocket ship straight to his destination? You shortened the journey. Thank you for shortening the journey. Friends, following Jesus may not be the most straightforward thing in the world. It may lead us to oppositional persecution. If it does, we know we follow in the same footsteps as Jesus. But we also know that Jesus led to a cross where he died and then he rose up from the grave. And because of that, there is an inheritance and eternity beyond that will mean even in the greatest persecution, we can put one foot in front of the other, keeping on that journey towards an eternity with the risen Jesus. That's why Christianity is the greatest news possible. May we be comforted in the challenging times and may we be just a little bit uncomfortable in the comfort. Let's pray together. As the band come up, we're going to respond together. But we're going to do it in a particular way. I'm going to ask us to be brave. As we come to the end of this series, it might be that some of us have just sort of sensed a little bit of a call to live differently. That maybe for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we know that we've settled a little bit. Not taking many risks anymore, or just a little bit comfortable and we long, we've had something awakened even this morning that longs to just be really making a difference and to following Christ wherever that goes. In a moment, I'm going to simply ask you to stand as a way of saying, yes, Jesus, I want to live differently. And in a sense, all of us could say that, but I want to particularly for those of us who we know deeply, we felt that acutely, that we do want to say, yes, Jesus. From now on, I do want to live differently. But there's another group of people I want to ask to invite to stand as well. And that's, if you're somebody that you're not sure whether you're a follower of Jesus or, or, or you're here and you know you're not, 
Jesus doesn't really feature on your agenda, but actually something has connected, something has resonated, something has kind of landed. And even though you have, may have many, many questions, you today want to simply say, yeah, yes, Jesus, I, I want to follow you. So as we stand, I'm going to invite you to stand as well. So there's two groups. One who long to live differently as you follow Jesus. And for another group, maybe one or two, that simply want to say for the first time yes to Jesus. So in the stillness, I'm going to pray and I'm going to invite us to stand if we feel we'd want to do that. Holy Spirit, we thank you that these words of Jesus are not just words on a page. They speak right into our lives. Father, we thank you for the, for the glory of eternity. Thank you. May we be people who live differently as a result. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. So in the stillness, if you'd like to respond because you'd like to say to Jesus, yep, I want to live differently now. Or even for the first time, you want to say yes to Jesus. Can I invite you to stand? Please stand.